And New Year's, I'd like to use this time as an opportunity to really look at our lives, examine our lives as we look to the New Year 2016. So to highlight this morning, the main idea that I want to focus on in my talk, I'd like to start with a confession. And that confession is that I love to go Christmas shopping. I do, seriously. (laughs) The lights and the music and the company, it's just great for me. Now, I know that for others, that may not be the case. Not everyone loves to go shopping. But anyways, you know that time when you are shopping and you were looking for the right gift for that person and you're questioning between one or the other, which one do I get? And it's a back and forth game, right? That is until you remember something that they have said, something that you've remembered them saying, and you're able to decide. And so they would like the new iPhone instead of the new Apple Watch. You're able to decide between the two. Now, as this morning, as we look at John chapter 6, and specifically verses 67 through 69, Jesus is also asking us a question. Obviously not whether you'd like to get the new iPhone or the new Apple Watch, but when presented with the options of believing or not believing in the gift of Jesus, will you turn to him, to life found in him? And since everything is heightened in our lives during this time of year, my hope is that as we look to the new year, we can say like Peter did, like we just read, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words to eternal life. And with that in mind, I would like to look at how our view and belief of Jesus during the holidays affects and shapes our life in the new year. And I want to challenge you, no matter where you're at, no matter what's going on in your life, to turn to the only one who has the words to life, our Savior, our King, our Messiah, Jesus. And so with that, let's jump right in and start with our first point this morning. The first point that I would like to share with you is this. As we approach the new year, it's important that we let Jesus shape our life. Now, as I roll out this first point, let me take you to our text this morning in John chapter 6 to set the scene for what Jesus is doing here. Now, at the beginning of this chapter, some of you may know kind of what's going on, but just briefly to bring you up to speed, we read that Jesus has just miraculously fed 5,000 men. Now, this is roughly 15,000 people total, from five loaves and two fish. Now, at first, you would think that this is pretty incredible, and most of the people did. They were in awe of what Jesus did, in awe of another sign he showed them as they followed. But this sign, however, led to a reaction drawn from the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, having seen this sign and knowing what Moses spoke about in Deuteronomy 18, about a prophet to come, they connected the dots and clearly recognized Jesus as God's prophet. And in verse 14, which is a reference to Deuteronomy 18, it says, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Like Moses, who delivered their people from the Egyptian rule, this was the prophet spoken about who would deliver them from Roman rule. And at this time in history, God's people were suffering under Roman rule, and they saw Jesus as the perfect candidate to help them in their distress. They wanted to crown him a political king with the hope that he would overthrow the Romans and free them. It was a knee-jerk reaction to what they just heard Jesus say. However, their plan was not Jesus' plan. And this is why, knowing all of this, he withdraws from them. Now, what I'm trying to point out here is that 
the people's expectation of what they wanted Jesus to be and do for them trumped who Jesus actually was and said he would do for them. And the only problem with this was they were more focused on what they wanted Jesus to be instead of who Jesus said that he was. And we know from John chapter 18 that Jesus is king, but his kingdom is not of this world. Rather, it is a spiritual kingdom that will not be established by force. And now there's and something, something very important that we can learn from this. Sometimes during the holiday season, we are more focused on who we want Jesus to be rather than who he is. Now, to kind of explain this, I'd like to use a, a little um, example of something that you, you may know, and I'm sure all of you have heard it, or at least by, at this point seen it on your Facebook feeds, but the Red Starbucks Cup Saga. Now, I know it was at the beginning of the holiday season, but I'd like to use this as a small example of what was going on here in John chapter 6. Now, this infamous red coffee cup came out at the beginning of the holiday season, and instead of boasting its regular Christmas photos like Frosty the Snowman or Santa Claus or Falling Snow, the cup was just plain red. Now, from that, the saga began, and some Christians even participated in it, even though there were never really any pictures of Jesus on the Starbucks cups just generic winter-themed photos, some people felt Starbucks was trying to get rid of Christmas. Now, what I'd like to look at here is the issue that is beneath the issue. At the root of this so-called controversy was that some people were upset about how Starbucks wasn't portraying Christmas in the way that they thought it needed to be portrayed. Some took to the Internet by force to express how they thought Christmas should be displayed on this holiday cup. And some even told their neighborhood barista that their name was Merry Christmas so that their Merry Christmas would be written on the cup. Now, the real question in all of this is a simple one, actually. And it is, was Jesus honored? Was he made to look like the king who he says he is? Or was this another, G- another knee-jerk reaction from a few people, like we see in John chapter 6, verses 14 through 15, that thought he needed to be politicized this Christmas. And like the people in John chapter 6, some of the Starbucks craziness shows us that people missed the point. They missed who Jesus says he is, the king who came to earth to continue God's plan of redemption. Now a question with this example. Have you ever gotten to the other side of Christmas after all the parties and shopping is behind you and felt like you may have missed the point. For some of us, when the hustle and bustle of the season ends, we're left with a real hunger in our soul. Now, to tell you a little story, when I was a kid, especially around Christmas, I have very fond memories of of this holiday season with my family. We'd have big parties and get-togethers, and I'd really look forward to this time all year long. Not to mention there were fun things going on at school, Christmas plays and performances and concerts. Anyways, after Christmas was over, I would get really sad. It was almost like I had this part of me in my heart just absolutely ripped out of me. The fact that I had to wait another year for all of this to happen again was super sad. Now, I can't fully describe the feeling, but I needed something else to look forward to. Something to feed that hunger I now had since Christmas time, the parties, and everything was over. Now, this feeling really points out what is happening in John chapter 6. 
Now we left off where the people were trying to capture Jesus to make him king, make him the king that they wanted him to be for political purposes. And knowing this, he fled again in the mountain by himself and sent his disciples across the sea to Capernaum. Now eventually, the same people that witnessed the feeding miracle met Jesus on the other side. And they begin questioning him about how he got to the other side of the sea because there was only one boat and they didn't see him get into the boat with his disciples. So what does Jesus do to answer the question? He gets right to the heart of their motives. And in John chapter 6, verse 26, he says this. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Immediately, see, Jesus here knows that they are no longer concerned with making him their king, but receiving their next dinner. And he goes on to say in verse 27, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of God will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now, just after this, they go on to ask in verse 28, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus goes on to tell them that the work of God is that you believe in him. And at this point, Jesus begins to describe himself as the true bread of life that was sent down from heaven. Since they questioned him, referencing the Old Testament and what God had done through Moses by providing manna in the wilderness. And in verse 35, Jesus then declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now let's just pause right here for just a minute. What do we notice from the people that that are following Jesus? There's almost this constant, what's next attitude? Great, you fed us on the hill, let's make you king. Where did you go? We're hungry again. What's the work that you speak of that gives eternal life? Give us that. Wait, it's you? Well, then show us proof. Now as humans, we have a tendency to, to look for, what, for the what's next. When's the new iPhone coming out? When do I get that next promotion? When will I see my family again after Christmas? When will I be happy again? Now, please hear me. Specifically, enjoying or wanting these things is not bad. But if you get to the place where you want what Jesus gives you more than Jesus himself, it does become a really bad thing. And it's bad because seeking fulfillment in these things will let us down. They're idols that will not satisfy, and the root of them is our sin. We believe the lie like Adam and Eve did in the garden, that other things outside of God will fulfill us. Then these people, gadgets, job, or relationship you look to for worth, acceptance, satisfaction, or wholeness was not what you expected. That what's next in your life only kept you full for so long. And it's in these moments we have to turn to Jesus the true bread of life that will sustain and feed our souls. In John chapter 6, the people were given bread, but were hungry again the next day. Then they looked to their what's next, the next meal that would fill their stomachs and miss the source that the bread pointed to. And that was Jesus himself. Jesus promises to give us life, fill us spiritually, and sustain us through every life circumstance and holiday season. John says in chapter 20 that his gospel was written for this purpose, that we might believe in Jesus, in who Jesus is, and have life, life in his name. See, 
Jesus doesn't just provide our temporal needs, but he feeds the deepest and greatest needs of our soul. And ultimately, there is no what's next that is needed. When it comes to what will truly sustain us, Jesus is the bread of life. And whoever that comes to him will not hunger. Whoever comes to him will not thirst. And so as we look to the new year, this is what Christmas is all about. Celebrating Jesus' birth, the one who from eternity past planned to come to earth, die on the cross, and give us true life. Give true life to those that will believe in him. So what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for you and me after the holidays in 2015 is over? And there's no what's next to look forward to except those New Year's resolutions or goals that we've set for for January and the next year. It means that we need to keep turning to the bread that will sustain us. Not the next dinner, party, family, gathering, relationship, or happy moment, but to the sustainer of life, the source of every good thing, who is there for us year after year, day after day. Jesus. Now, a lot of times, this is easier said than done, especially during the holidays. It's very easy to get wrapped up in, in all that, is, that all that this time of year brings. Then suddenly you're shaped by it, you're caught up in it, and two weeks into the new year, you're left feeling empty, hungry, and looking for what's next. Because your focus drifted and you're no longer being shaped by the grace and truth of Jesus. And this leads me to the second point I'd like to share with you this morning. And that is since Jesus alone has the words to life, words of life, it's very important for us to examine where we're at with him as we enter the new year. Now, continuing our study, we'll jump ahead to verse 60. After Jesus' sermon about focusing on him was concluded, we read this. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, John is not specifically speaking about the 12 disciples here, but all those that were following Jesus at the time. And just before this, Jesus was talking to his disciples about being the bread of life, that through belief in him, through his flesh and blood, we are given life. And the people were having a really hard time with this. They began examining where they were at with Jesus, started grumbling, were confused, and even disputed some of what he was saying. Now, have you ever been talking with someone and, about something and they're just, just not really listening? You've explained the situa- situation to them in multiple ways, showing them the reason or the possible solution to the problem, but they just don't want to hear it. Now, that's essentially what's going on here. So much so that actually, it's actually offending people as Jesus asks in verse 61. He says, does this offend you? Now, the original Greek here does not just mean offend, but more deeply, what Jesus is asking here is, are my words, are they causing you to sin? Because of your hard hearts, is this the response you have to what I'm saying? What was so offensive, though, then? Actually, it was Jesus' entire sermon on him being the bread of life. However, the big points revolved around him being the bread that came down from heaven and that in order to have life, they must eat his flesh and drink his blood. Again, we see the people expected Jesus to be something that he didn't say he was. So again, Jesus tries to explain to them who he is and isn't. 
In verse 62, Jesus asks, Then, what if you see the Son of Man ascended to where he was before? And in verse 63, the Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. And so in other words, he's saying, you don't believe that I'm from heaven after what I've told you and what you've seen me do? When you see me going back to where I came from, will you believe then? Also, I'm not asking you to literally eat my flesh, which was an early Christian controversy. And no modern Christian thinks that we're supposed to eat Jesus's flesh. But turn to me for fulfillment in this life. Understand that spirit gives life and my words are spirit and life. The flesh is of no use. Believe what I've said, that through belief in my body, my death and bloodshed on the cross, you will have life. Now there's absolutely such clarity in his words, but they didn't want to hear it. They wanted Jesus to be who they wanted him to be instead of who he really was. So they were offended and did not believe. And even though we're reading a story that took place 2,000 years ago in our modern culture, some people are still offended by what Jesus said. Some are offended that Jesus has said he is the only way to heaven. Others will not believe in a God who they feel lets all the bad things happen in this world. And others don't want to submit their life to the lordship of Jesus. Now, while preparing this message, I, I read an interesting article. It was in the Huffington Post uh, about the war on Christmas, and it was entitled, The Last Thing That Ever Needs to Be Said About It. Oh, holidays, uh, Happy Holidays versus Merry Christmas, the last thing that ever needs to be said about it. And there was an interesting paragraph that I wanted to, to share with you, and I'll explain why in a minute. At this point in the article, though, a solution is being given on how to handle the holidays in America. And it said this, So let a thousand flowers bloom. Let's have Christmas carols and Hanukkah songs, Kwanzaa lessons, human light celebrations, and pagan solistic rituals. Let's do it all. It's much more fun to cast a wide net where all can celebrate our traditions together rather than strip away, every, strip away everything, strip everything away to protect the delicate sensibilities of some prickly few. Now, on one hand, the statement is not necessarily shocking to me because it's become normal thinking to many in our culture. But on the other hand, it's concerning from a spiritual aspect because it's not what Jesus said. And I want to be clear, my, my point for using this article is not to be argumentative, but to examine the spiritual implications of, of what it said. That the more of this idea of do-it-all is fed, the further we get away from the words of Jesus. Yes, there are many ways to respond to Jesus' words, as we see here in John 6, and today in our context, some people are offended by Jesus. Some people are skeptical about Jesus. Some people are waiting for more proof that he is who he is. Like the people in this chapter, they say, well, wait, you want us to believe in you? Well, show us a sign, something that we can believe in after everything that he had already done. But by doing it all, or as it also says in this article, casting the wide net, the clarity in Jesus' words becomes blurred and we forget how to the point he actually was. Now, I'm not talking specifically about traditions here. Good traditions are great. For example, RCPO's Christmas at the Creek service we just had on Thursday, Christmas Eve. We do it every year. It's a great tradition. Or family traditions that you may have. 
with your family, with your friends, things that you do. However, when the net is cast wide on all traditions and celebrations due to unbelief or offense, we miss the deepest and greatest gift of Christ's first advent. And that's true life found by believing in who Jesus says he is. Not a form of unbelief molded by our own thoughts or shaped by that of our culture. So, jumping back into our text this morning, in in verse 66, we see that people turned away and no longer followed Jesus because of his teaching and him knowing there were some that would not believe. We see the same thing today, and because of that, as we looked at in the article, the net is cast wide. However, the reality is this, that only through true belief in and followership of Jesus can you receive the ever-sustaining power of life. And as 2015 comes to a close in just about four days, today can be a turning point for your life. And how will you respond to who Jesus really is? Will you respond like Peter, who believed who Jesus said he was and looked to him for life? It's important to examine your heart because we're not, we're not promised another moment, but we do have a Savior who is in control and can sustain you today for the rest of your life and into eternity. And I absolutely love Peter's response to all of this in, in verse 68 through 69. We read it this morning. And what Jesus asks in verse 67. Jesus is like, now this is specifically to the 12. Okay, guys, well, you've heard my sermon, you've heard my words, and have been with, with me witnessing everything I've done. You don't want to leave too, do you? Then Peter, with boldness, stands up for the group, and ultimately, in the end, not Judas, and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words to life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, Peter, if you know him, is not really one to, to mince words, nor is he one to say, not to say something that is on his mind. And his vigor and conviction in these words is amazing. To be honest, there, there's no one else to whom we can go. You have the words to life. You are the one that fills the hunger and thirst of our souls. We believe in you, Jesus. We've examined what you've said and know that you are the Christ, the one who has come into the world to save us. And what I'd like to point out here is, is just the absolute tenacity in which Peter speaks. Sometimes it's hard to, to put, into, put a word or phrase to something that you know you have a desire for or passion or are passionate about. But as Jesus, in his ministry, uses children to, to communicate spiritual truths, I'd like to use just a little story in my life that I think will help you understand the kind of passion that's found in Peter's statement and belief towards Jesus. So, just recently... Nicole and I were attending a birthday party for a child of some friends of ours. And as we got there and as the party went on, I I noticed something. Every child that arrived literally just started playing games with other kids. I'm not even exactly sure if everyone knew each other, but when they got there, it didn't matter. We're playing, you're playing, okay, let's, let's just play together. And even when food came out and the birthday cake came out, everyone had to stop the kids in order for them to eat. And even in that moment, they were still kind of half playing and half eating at the same time. It was just pretty amazing to me just witnessing that. But the joy they had to play was just infectious. 
just kind of made me happy. And it seemed to me that they had absolutely no other thought in their mind about what to do. It was so clear for them. We're at a party. What do you do? Of course, you play. There's no other answer. Just play. Now, in a spiritual way, this is how Peter was responding to what Jesus said. Are you guys going to leave too? Uh, no, what else do we do? Where else would we go? Jesus, you have the words to eternal life. So what does this look like for you this morning? If Jesus asked you that question, what would you say when examining yourself this morning to see what has shaped us and what will shape us as we approach the new year? I want to briefly, brief, briefly use this time now to look at three amazing promises that Jesus makes you when you turn to him. Number one, when you look to Jesus for life, your past is secured in the blood of Christ on the cross. Amen. Now let's just stop and, and think about this for a minute. How amazing it to, is it to know that when you truly put your faith in Jesus and believe deeply in your heart that he is is who he says he is. Nothing that's happened in your past cannot be forgiven. Jesus has redeemed and secured your soul in the past by his death on the cross. And has there ever been a time where you have just royally blew, blown it? Just really messed up? Well, yes, of course. Because we've all done it. No one is perfect except for Jesus. And to varying degrees, we've all done things wrong. Maybe this year, there's, there's been a sin that's in your life that, that has just been eating at you. Maybe this year, you feel like you're not living up to what it means to be a mom or a dad or a husband, wife or employee. Guess what? When you're in Jesus and you confess that sin or lay those feelings of inadequacy before him, you are forgiven and you are redeemed. The implication of Jesus' work on the cross is that you're already forgiven already redeemed. Peter says it this way, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we may die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Secondly, an amazing promise that Jesus makes you when you turn to him is that when you look to Jesus for life, your present right now is secured in him. When you truly put your faith in Jesus and believe deeply in your heart that he is who he says he is, right now in this moment, you are secure. And there's not a single moment that passes when he's not by your side. Yes, there are times of ups and downs in our Christian walk with Jesus. Yes, there are struggles in this life. But I like how Leslie Newbegin, a, a, he's a Christian scholar and a missionary to India, says it in his commentary on John chapter 6. The present is lived in that fellowship or relationship with Jesus, which is a sharing in the life of heaven. Maybe this year, something in your life has drastically changed. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe situations have changed with your family or friends. Maybe you're going through a rough patch that is really stretching you and testing your faith with Jesus. I would encourage you not to lose heart. Listen to the words of Jesus as he came to the disciples 
walking on the water earlier in John chapter 6, he says, it is I. Do not be afraid. He will help you. You are secure right now. His promises are true and he's in control. And lastly, when you look to Jesus for life, your future is secure because he's promised to come back and make all things right. Now that just absolutely blows everything out of the water, doesn't it? No matter what happens today, no matter what happens tomorrow, 2016, 2020, 2040, when you truly put your faith in Jesus and believe deeply in your heart that he is who he says he is, your future is secure until your last breath and into eternity with him. Now this this promise is the big one. Since the creation of the world, God has planned to redeem his people from the penalty of sin through his son Jesus. Through him, all things were made and without him, nothing was made that was made. He came to earth as a child and paid the ultimate price to make a way for us to be with him forever. This is a big picture, big picture mentality. And I have to remind myself of this very often. That no matter what the circumstance, no matter what's going on, my future is secure with Jesus, with him. And for others, it may be that no matter what the outcome of that next medical exam is, your future is secure with Jesus. No matter where you're at with your job or company, your future is secure with Jesus. No matter what the circumstance, big or small, your future is secure with Jesus. He's conquered death and will return to make things right at his second advent. Now, these promises are not something to take lightly and at times are easier to hear than they are to experience. But the great grace of Jesus' life and death on the cross is that he knows all of that and is with you through it all. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He alone has the words to life, past, present, and future. Now, in conclusion this morning, I want to look back one more time at what we just celebrated on Friday. Christmas. A time to perhaps be with family, a time to look back at the past year and all the things that we've done, a time to look forward to what next year might bring. But most importantly, this season has been a time to remember Jesus and his first advent. A time to remember that he did come to earth to do what he promised. That is, make us right before God through a relationship with him. And he is most definitely faithful and we can trust and rest and believe in him and turn to the only one that has the words to eternal life. In John chapter 16, Jesus, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, his prayer for those in him is that we would see his glory and love him with the love that the Father loved him. And my hope would be just that for everyone here this morning. And that you would use this time before the new year to examine your heart and what you believe about Jesus. Have you believed like Peter? 
Have you already believed like Peter, but want to deepen your relationship with Christ and love him more? Like Jesus prayed. And no matter where you find yourself today, my prayer is that you'd be able to passionately say with all your heart, Lord, to whom shall I go? You have the words to eternal life, and I have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And as we move into response time and look to the new year, know that Jesus is offering himself to you, the true bread of life that will sustain and feed your soul now and forever. So this morning, ask yourself, what is Jesus saying to you and what are you going to do about it? Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we just come before you now, Lord. Just look to you and see how great you are. Lord, you are so good to us. You are so good in every way, working everything together for your purpose, Lord. Father, we come now using this time between Christmas and New Year's as a time to really examine, help us to examine our hearts, Lord, to see we're at with you, come to you, lay anything before you, any sin, anything that is is on our hearts, Lord, where we have messed up and just lay them before you, confessing them before you, knowing that you will forgive us, Lord. And Jesus, we just thank you for this time where we can come to your word, Lord, and you can help us grow in you and you can help us take our next steps with you. Jesus, I just, I just pray that, that we would really examine and look to the new year and that you would give us clarity on all the many things that are going on in our lives that you exactly know. Every moment, every instant, every circumstance you know. Help us to feel your comfort. Help us to feel your grace. Protect us from the enemy. Lord, we just thank you for your son. As we now look back to the season that we're celebrating Christmas on Friday, remembering what your son has done for us and coming to earth that he may die on a cross, that when we put our faith in him, we may have life in him, true life in him, and that he will return to make all things right. What an incredible promise. Lord, help us to rest in that. Help us to trust in that and to turn to you, Jesus. And so we pray all of these things to you, Father, by your spirit and your son, Jesus' name, amen.